Up next on Book TV, Afterwards, with guest host Hannah Rosen. This week, sociologist Michael Kimmel in his latest book, Angry White Men, American Masculinity at the End of an Era. In it, the Stony Brook University professor argues that many white men see increased gender and racial equality as a major contributor to their downward mobility, and they're angry about their declining dominance in American society. This program is about an hour. Congratulations on your book, Michael. Uh, I thought it was an interesting idea the first time you told me about it. It does seem like there's this sort of, you know, there's anger out there and nobody's really made sense of it. So I'm glad that you took the time to do that. Um, I I would say one thing that strikes me as a journalist reading your book since you're an academic is that you operate like a reporter. You're unusually adventurous. And so uh, I would ask you, you know, why why do you do your books that way, where you're sort of out and about and talking to different people? Um, well, first of all, I I, I think I, I appreciate that, and mm-hmm. um, I I want sometimes to be out and about. I want to be out and in and talking to people, and I don't want to sit and just manipulate numbers. And mm-hmm. uh, and I have found these kinds of interviews to be really revealing, particularly with uh, people that I don't particularly understand or I don't really get their worldview. I mean. I actually didn't start this book uh, thinking I was going to go do a whole lot of interviews with different groups. Um, my first, uh, the, the work, for example, the chapter that's on the extreme right wing, mm-hmm. uh, the neo-Nazis and white supremacists, I figured um, they have, they're so wired and they have so many websites and chat rooms, I figured I could do most of it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would go onto these chat rooms and, you know, and listen to people talking and but it occurred to me, I was, I, was, I, was, I was on these chat rooms, that there would be like eight people and they would be saying all these horrible things. And suddenly it dawned on me that like, you know, there's eight people here and four of them are probably graduate students in anthropology. <laughs> and, right. you know, one of them is like a high school kid who's like goofing around. Right, and right. two of them are actually real white supremacists and the other one is like me. So right. I thought, well, you know, I can't, and I can't tell who's who. You can't trust but verify. <laughs> I know. Like, how are you going to verify? Right, right so, exactly. So as you know, as a journalist, you got to have, so, so you have to have sources that you can at least see. trust, at least see them. So I decided to go, you know, go talk to them. And then as I began to do that research, um, as I was actually w- working on, on Guyland as well, I, uh, I began to realize that I was going to want to talk to people for all of the other chapters as much as I could. So let's talk about your relationship with Rick, who you start the yeah. book with in a gun show, because I think it will give the watchers a sense of who we're talking about, what, what's, what sociology, where are we in America, right. and, and also a little bit about your relationship with the people that you're interviewing. So who's Rick? Well, Rick is a, is a guy that I met um, mm-hmm. at one of the very first uh, places that I went to interview um, white supremacists and neo-Nazis, th- p- members of where, the extreme like, right. Where are we? Well, this okay. is really interesting. You know, when I've told friends that I was going to be doing work on uh, the extreme right, they said, oh, you're going to have to go to the, you know, the deep south, the home of the Klan or something like that. And I said, well, I don't think so. And it turned out I met him right outside of Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Because along the actual Mason-Dixon line mm-hmm. uh, today, uh, there are quite a large number of, uh, you know, white supremacists, you know, extreme right wing strongholds. And, and it turns out that in a lot of suburban uh, schools along the Mason-Dixon line, western New Jersey, southern mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, you know, a lot of public schools are so starved for cash that some of these schools actually rent out their, their, uh, their auditorium, their gyms mm-hmm. for gun shows. 
shows on weekends. <laughs> that's, that's so, so I walked into yeah. basically what is a high school, uh-huh. uh, and there's you know, and inside the the gym, there's just ra- you know tables and tables and tables mm. of guns, um, and, uh, and but. Outside. Is there also like a middle school basketball game? Going <laughs> no, no, on at the same nothing time? going on yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But at the but but as you walk in, there are tables out in front with lots of pamphlets, uh-huh. right? Not the you know pr- prior to entering the gun show, uh-huh. and the pamphlets are all how the government's trying to take away your yeah, right yeah. to own guns, and uh-huh. the government's doing this, and Obama's doing that, and Obamacare's terrible, and so those were the guys I wanted to talk to because they were the guys with the with the leaflets, the uh-huh. ideas, uh-huh. and so. Um, so I went up to the this one table and I just sort of said, you know, is, I picked up a pamphlet and says, "Is this yours?" Uh-huh. And you know, but about three or four guys standing around at the table, sort of talking, and you know, and they looked at me kind of suspiciously, and I and they said, "Who well, are no you?" No offense, but you sound like what you are, you know. Well, I, yes, of course, you I sound mean, like a New York guy, right? right. So it's not I, it's hard to hide. I'm I'm, I'm a New York. Uh, I'm a Brooklyn, right? You know, Jewish sociologist, right? right? So. You know, like just, what, what, feminist. Pick, pick, pick two. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I, and so of course I'm not, and I'm not going to like fake some accent and pretend to be like Could one of the guys. Could you do it? Could you even do it if I, you tried? I, yeah. I doubt it, right, <laughs> yeah. actually. But, but I don't think I would try. So, uh-huh. I, but I, so, so I, I said to them, you know, like, is this your stuff? And they said, yeah. Who are you? And I said, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a, right, I'm an academic. I'm a researcher, and I'm doing research on, you know, the these these organizations, these ideas, and trying to understand the guys about it and I actually study men who believe this stuff and they you know a bunch of them said you looked at me suspiciously and Mm -hmm. said all you know sort of asked me questions and I just said look look here's what I am you know Mm -hmm. I don't get it so but here's my job I want to understand how you guys see the world Uh, I want to understand the your worldview it is look you will not convince me and Mm -hmm. I will not convince you that's off the table. Mm-hmm. What is on the table is I want to understand why you think the way you do. Um, now, here's so so here's the thing that was interesting. Now, I would say roughly half of the guys I approached would not talk to me. So there are biases in my research, and I'll mm-hmm. acknowledge those. What did they say? But what the, was the, they just say? I don't want to talk. Yeah, I don't want to talk to you. Talk to you. Yeah, I don't want to okay. talk. You know, basically, I don't want to talk to you. You know, you'll you'd never understand. You know, uh, you know. One or two said mm-hmm. said something anti-Semitic, but it was vague and not really right. it, rather rather thin and surface. Right. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, but basically, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. I'm, and I'm fine with that. Right. But the guys who did, here's basically my pitch. Mm-hmm. Your whole complaint, as I understand it, is you are the forgotten American. Mm-hmm. You are the Americans on whose back this country was built. Mm-hmm. You fought its wars. You built its bridges. You've 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 built the country, and no one's listening to you. Mm-hmm. I will. I nice, will listen to you. Yeah. Now, I will not agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. But I will listen. I promise. My job is to, fa- as faithfully as I can, represent the world as you see it. That's what I want to do. So if you can trust that, I'm willing to talk to you. So who is the guy? Like, just paint a picture, you know, does he well, work? Does he not work? Like, before we get to what his views are, kind of sure. age, race, you know, well, social class, like who who are we talking about? Just for this part, I know. Okay, just for this broad. part. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I do want to say that the, that the, this is only one chapter of the yeah, book yeah. in which I try to try to take up the pulse of a lot of different groups. Mm-hmm. But I'll describe Rick to you a little bit because he was sort of impish and funny mm-hmm. when we met for the first time mm-hmm. uh, privately. Uh, we had breakfast the next morning at mm-hmm. a at a coffee shop, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so he's he he's about uh, mid thirties. Mm-hmm. He does have a job. Um, 
and uh, he was working in a construction crew. But here's the thing that's interesting about him. And all of the guys who are on the extreme right with whom I spoke, mm -hmm. all of them have the same class background. They are downwardly mobile, lower middle class. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the guys you talk to in the end of men are, mm -hmm. have the same, you mm -hmm. know, their fathers were independent farmers, mm -hmm. small shopkeepers, mm -hmm. mon pa grocers. They closed the store when Walmart moved in. The independent farmers got foreclosed. Not factory? Well, yes. Yeah. High-wage, union-protected yeah. factory workers, and the factory closed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? So these guys are downwardly mobile. They will not have the kind of wages nor the kind of job protection that their fathers had. And in, and in fact, many of them, you know, they were like, you know, Smith and Sons. Right. They were the sons. Right. Right. And they and, and or or a lot of their, their a lot of the guys I talked to were independent, non-union contract workers, plumbers, electricians, uh -huh. but not union off the off the books. Uh -huh. um, but they were all downwardly mobile. That was their background. Mm -hmm. So Rick shows up, you know, and he decides he's going to be he's going to be playful with me. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I chose him to introduce the book. Mm -hmm. it, so he wears an old flannel shirt and a weathered Pittsburgh Pirates baseball hat because we're in now, you know, sort of in central Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. um, but he also wears a Confederate, a, a black T-shirt with a Confederate flag mm -hmm. on it. And so he opens. So as he sits down, he kind of opens his flannel shirt and he sort of goes like this and says, I wore this just for you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> just to hit all the stereotypes. Right. Just wants right. to give it to me, you yeah. know, give it to me. So, so, so I don't have to make him up. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so, and, and the thing is, he's also, so he's, he and his wife are trying to make it, um, on far less he's wages. Married. Far, yep, he's married. Mm -hmm. He's far less secure, has two kids, mm -hmm. um, five and seven, I think, at the time that mm -hmm. I interviewed him, um, really unhappy with the quality of schools, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, but I, and of course, the, the conversations we weren't going to have is, wouldn't it be nice if you had free childcare? Wouldn't it be nice if yeah, you yeah. had, if you had, if you right. could exercise your right to free healthcare or, right, right. you know, reasonable yeah. health, reasonable right. cost healthcare? We didn't have those conversations. Uh -huh. We had a conversation about what he expected as he was growing up, mm -hmm. what he thought was going to be his mm -hmm. and what he didn't get mm -hmm. and how he feels, um, you know, somewhat, uh, basically screwed by the system. Like things have been taken away from yes. him that were rightfully and, his. And that's and that, in a sense, that's the the line. That's the the the, the kind of connective tissue among all of the different mm -hmm. chapters. So my book has some resonance with yours, mm -hmm. for example, with End of Men. It has a lot of resonance with Susan Faludi's book mm -hmm. Stiffed, mm -hmm. um, which is the subtitle of that is the betrayal of the American right. men. So there, and these guys definitely feel like they've been betrayed. Yeah, I did. I was thinking a lot about Susan Faludi's book when I read your book because she similarly kind of visits different parts of America and different uh, you know ages of people and the, and the through line is, is a similar one sort of what was promised to me you know when I was growing up the fathers in the 50s down to the sons who really That's have right. no models for manhood and who have no uh, you know no no easy thing to grasp onto as a model for success before we get to the entitlement question which is totally central to your book uh, the book in, in many ways I mean what's uncomfortable about reading the book is that it's like rippling with sort of racism sexism and anger yeah. that you see across chapters in a way that it's a little bit frightening when you read it all, <laughs> when it's sort of encompassed like between two covers. Um, so, so you know, since we just talked about Rick, I'll use him as a bridge. How quickly before you get to the racism and sexism, kind of how does that kind of come up in your different conversations? It, it comes up in two ways. Um, the, the racism comes up self-consciously. So either it's right there at the front because they want to shock me. 
always about Obama or just like oh, a lot about Obama, uh-huh. a lot about Obama. Um, if not Obama specifically, it's a generalized them, like how they are invading, how they are yeah. taking what's ours, that sort of thing. Interestingly, you know, uh, my brother, my brother lives in a very working class neighborhood, and, and visiting him the last two weeks, I feel like De Blasio has just kind of like explode. I haven't heard it so much in a while, and all of a sudden, like at the barbecues, is like, whoa, where did this come from? Really interesting. Yes, yes. Interesting. his son, his kid. It's just like all over New York in a way that you know. So it that's was the other side of the, the other years. side of the of, of you know, um, for Guyland, uh, I hung out at a firefighter bar not mm-hmm. far from my my house and um and it, you know new york city fire department mm-hmm. it's as white as it gets mm-hmm. um and uh and so um and and i heard that uh i heard a little bit of that but i haven't gone back and listened to it around de blasio's mixed race marriage yeah. and it's his son's afro kid. it's like really we're going to talk about this for how long i know, you know? really yeah, so 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 anyway, sometimes yeah. it's out front so mm-hmm. because remember that these guys know I'm not one of them. I mean, right, it's right. clear. I make it clear. I'm not going to try to pretend and try to pass. Are they self-conscious about racism or not even? Like- well, see, that's the thing. The sexism is utterly unself-conscious. Interesting. There's no. I mean, there's the occasional swipe at, at mm-hmm. Hillary, mm-hmm. but there's never a, a, a sense of sexism because they're also proclaiming Michelle Bachman or Sarah Palin as babes. But isn't it also because? They, the, the rage is channeled through probably a person, like an ex-wife, or you know what I mean? Oh, it's oh, like for, a familiar... For, for other guys. For yeah, other guys, yeah, not for him sure. necessarily. Yeah, but you sure. can own sexism more because you have personal experience of yes. a woman who was, you know, whatever. But I think, see, I think, uh, you know, in our culture, I actually think that, um, that it, sexism is far more permissible than racism. It seems uh, like that. Well, well let, let me yeah. give you a really good example of how, how to think about that. Mm-hmm. If you remember, in the, during the primary season of 2008, mm-hmm. when Clinton was running against Obama in, mm-hmm. for the Democratic nomination, and there was a guy who, who at one of Clinton's rallies... Hillary held up, Clinton's rallies, Hillary, yeah. Hillary Clinton's rallies held up that sign that said, Iron My Shirts. Iron My Shirts, Do you shirts, remember yeah. that? Yeah. And I, so I asked my students, I teach large, large lecture classes, I said, how many of you remember that? Even, by the way, in 2009, I mm-hmm. asked this question, not, mm-hmm. not five, six years later. And so I asked the students here, how many of you remember that? I got like 10%, 20% -hmm. hands. And I said, yeah, because it really didn't pass under the media radar. Mm -hmm. A few of us knew it. People Mm -hmm. who follow these sorts of things knew it. Now, imagine if at an Obama rally, some guy had held up a sign, some white guy had held up a sign that said, polish my shoes. shoes." Right, right. Don't you think every media outlet would have been front page? Even John McCain, every single Republican would have said, wait, stop everything. That's wrong. Now, is it because they don't think it's dangerous? You know, you're I, after all, you're talking to a woman who's running for. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just because it's it 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 just seems more acceptable. Right. I mean, right. Ra- racism, overt racism. Well, prior to 2008, we, you know, right after 2008, we were all celebrating like, oh, overt racism. That's going to go away. Mm-hmm. Boy, were we wrong about that. But um, I, I think that that in fact, in some ways, Obama has become such a lightning rod mm-hmm. for the the resurgence of overt racism. Overt. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. still coded. Right. It's coded. People it's still will say, coded, we but... hate Obama, you're president, that kind right. of thing. I hear right. that a and lot. And that's it's part of what was behind the birther thing. He's not mm-hmm. one of us. Right, right. We know he's one of them, right? Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, so part, and, and part of this has always been somewhat startling, isn't it? Because, I mean, after all, Obama is not a black president. He's actually a mixed race. Mm-hmm. He's, he is 
African American. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, he he has he has one white and one African parent. Right. You know, it's completely, you know, this is like the one drop rule. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. So so it is really, I think, I think interesting that that sexism is far more casual. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because it's the interpersonal, you know, the, these guys that I was talking with actually have, have relationships with women. Or, yeah. or, or, yes, they have ex-wives that they hate. They have ex-wives lawyers who they hate even more. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, uh, but they also have, you know, the women in their lives who they see as getting ahead of them. Yeah, there's like a lot more women you can see as taking your job or, you right, know, whatever it right. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we are going to return to that subject when we talk about specific groups, but but I think it's important now to define this central concept of your book, which is this idea of aggrieved entitlement, right. because I have a lot of questions about it, and so just just tell the viewers, what is that? What is aggrieved entitlement? What does that well, mean? Well, it's a phrase that I came up with because all of the different groups that I talk about, um, from the men's rights groups to the father rights groups to the guys who beat, beat up their wives or partners or kill them in some cases, to guys who go post or you know, sort of open fire in the workplace um, to the it, to the men on the extreme right. Um, what I think the thread that binds all of them is this notion of aggrieved entitlement. And the easiest way I could describe it to you, Hannah, is to tell you one story mm-hmm. uh, where I, I first sort of encountered it. Um, and it was, I was on a TV talk show mm-hmm. um, opposite four of these men who were angry white men. And they all believed that they were the victims of reverse discrimination in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So it was a workplace show um, in which they were talking about how affirmative action was actually reverse discrimination against white men. They were qualified for jobs. They were qualified for promotions. They didn't get them, and boy, were they angry about it. Mm-hmm. So, the, and so I was there opposite them. Um, uh, alongside Jill Nelson, uh, in, the journalist uh, who had written Volunteer Slavery. Mm-hmm. And, um, who, and so the two of us were there sort of opposite them to sort of respond to them. And, my, and the reason I'm telling you this story is my first inkling of it was a quote from one of these men, mm-hmm. which became the title of the show. Mm-hmm. The title of the show was A Black Woman Stole My Job. Yeah, I saw that in your book, right? And I thought, you know, and, and so I had, I said, okay, okay, I have one question for you guys. And it's about the title of the show, A Black Woman Stole My Job. Actually, it's about one word in the title. I want to know about the word my. Right. Where did you get the idea it was your job? Right. Why isn't the title of the show, A Black Woman Got the Job, or right. A Black Woman Got a Job? Right. Because without confronting men's sense of entitlement, we won't understand why so many men, I think, resist gender equality. Mm-hmm. Because we think this is a level playing field. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have a policy that tilts it even a little bit, and you think, oh, my God, water's rushing uphill. Mm-hmm. It's reverse discrimination against us. Mm-hmm. So this is, the, this is what aggrieved entitlement, I think, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It is, it, these were our jobs. Mm-hmm. These were our positions. These are the ones that we were told when we were little, this is what is waiting for you. This is the, the, the scene, you know, the, the funniest scene of, of this entitlement that I've ever seen is in Monty Python, mm-hmm. where he goes to the castle walls and he, in, 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 in the Holy Grail mm-hmm. and says, you know, and goes to the, the, the Lord goes to the castle wall with his son and says, son, one day this will all be yours. And the son says, what, the curtains? Right. You know, it's, like, right. it's like one day this will all be yours. Right. That is what fathers have said to sons. Right. Right. And they expected this. They were, in, they were entitled to it. And now you're telling them. They're not going to get it. Now you're telling them mm-hmm. after all these years you have to play fair. Right, right. Um, and so my feeling was that this was, that I, I felt like when I heard this, I, it registered for me. Mm-hmm. And I began 
as I was doing the research for the book, I began to hear it in a lot of different venues. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to use that as a framing device on what, because, because my argument in, in the book, or in, in a way, the, the way that our books kind of run parallel to each other, is I think this isn't the end of men, mm -hmm. but this is the a end of an era of assumed entitlement. Right, right. Of, right. of the, the end where, uh, the end of an era. The end of male men, privilege. Uh, or the, the end, end of, of privilege or whatever. Right, right. That that's what I, that's right. what, so that's what I kept hearing from these guys. It wasn't, it, so, uh, and, and they were kind of blindsided by it. You know, in, it's, it's in our lifetime that the rules have completely changed from the office space at, in Mad Men, you know, where the men have all the right. corner offices and the women are like in a corral in right, the center right. and you have your pick. Uh, you know, it's like an office perk right. to sexual harassment, women having the corner offices. Right. I mean, it's, it's been, it's, it, the, the pace of this change, and I think you, you point this it's out It's been also, really fast and been alarming. Dizzy, it's yeah. dizzying. Right. It's dizzying. It's left guys just sitting there going, what happened? Right, right. <laughs> Here's the here. So one thing I did while reading your book is trying to imagine one of these guys reading your book, and the the you know aggrieved entitlement makes absolute sense. But I did find it hard for to accept them as entitled anymore. So like you know you have you have a phrase that sticks in my head which which makes total sense when you read it, especially to me and you. It's mm, like mm. men have had the wind at their back for all of this time, right? right? So it's just you've had tens of thousands of years. It's not it was never a level playing field. We had the advantage and now we don't have the advantage anymore. Right. It wasn't yours to begin with. It's like we had this push. But they don't feel that way, right? right. Like they don't wind at their back. Like they're looking at Obama exactly. and Hillary Clinton and you know they're looking what the field looks like and it doesn't look like them right. they can't get a job as one of them says the only job in my town is to be a walmart hostess and you know yeah, i sure I as hell i'm not doing that job yeah. like you know that it's a girl's job and it's not even that good a job so 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 i was having a hard time conceiving of why they should accept your argument that they were entitled okay so, so i have just two levels of answer it's a great question there's mm -hmm. two levels of answer to your question um the first is uh, does this actually describe their uh, their experience? And the second is, why should they then like ag agree with me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. okay. So, so the first part, is, it seems to me, is is the mistake I think that um, that we made that we being sort of liberals, feminists, basically in the 1970s, when feminism sort of first began to you know sort of really permeate the culture in the 1970s. The argument looked something like this: men have all the power. Just mm -hmm. look at every single corporate board, every single legislature, state, local, national, international, um, you know, every university board. You know, uh, men have all the power. Mm -hmm. And individually, uh, and, and, and so women don't have the power and women don't feel powerful mm -hmm. individually. So feminism said to women, we as a group need to redress this imbalance of power at the top. Mm -hmm. And individually, feminism was about empowering women to have a wider range of choices, more mm -hmm. options about reproduction, around family life, around balancing work and family, all those sorts of things. So it basically said, so there was a symmetry between the aggregate powerlessness and the individual experience of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. You apply that to men. Mm -hmm. Men have all the power in the world. You just look at all these boards and stuff. Therefore, men must feel powerful. Mm -hmm. And the men would go... What are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? My wife bosses me around. My kids boss me right. around. My boss bosses me around. I'm completely powerless. That analysis failed to resonate for men even then because men don't feel powerful. Mm -hmm. right? Never did or just don't now? Well, because, 
Because we, you know, because there's only one king of the hill. Mm -hmm. Most of us feel like we have to be subservient to to idiotic bosses. Mm -hmm. We have to be, Mm -hmm. we have to, you know, I mean, you know, when I try telling my male students that they have all the power, they have to listen to me. Right. You know, I'm giving them a grade. It's like an organization man idea. The idea that was also prevalent in the Mad Men era, that men are, that we are all little cogs in the wheel. That's right. And we're lemmings and we all take the 737 and we, you know, and we, we, you know. Like Revolutionary Road. I just put the widgets here. And there, yeah, exactly. So, and, and as a result, that syllogism, that kind of model, didn't really apply to men. So then you had all these these groups that sprung up in the seventies or so that basically said, "You know how you don't feel powerful? You're right. They have all the power. Come on, guys, let's get it back." Got it. Right. Or you have another group that said, "You know how you don't feel powerful? You're right." Let's go to the woods and we'll chant it. Here's the power stick and the power drumming mm. and the power chanting. And then you had all these Wall Street yuppies wearing power ties, eating power breakfast, as if power was some kind of fashion accessory. Mm-hmm. This was an, it, it, because the idea was men were supposed to feel powerful, mm-hmm. but didn't. That's entitlement. They mm-hmm. were supposed to feel this way. They don't feel this way. Whose fault is whose that? Whose fault is that? And right? we'll move to now, whose fault is and that. And then yeah. when you move to whose fault is that, that's why they should agree with me. Right. Because I think that they have been sold a bill of goods. I think they have been duped. I mm-hmm. think they have been hoodwinked. They've been betrayed. They've been stiffed. All of those sorts of things. Uh-huh. But not by the people they think. Right. Got it. Not yes. by those lower than them. But, but Not those... by the, f- f- the figment black woman, no, right? No, not right. by the black woman who stole their job. But the, by the, the arrogant, cynical elites who are manipulating them into going after those below them when, in fact, they can make common cause. So my argument to them mm-hmm. is it's not Timothy McVeigh. It's Tom Jode, right. who is your model. Right. right. Right? The one who makes common cause, who recognizes his plight. Explain finally. who that is so oh. people won't. Okay. Yeah, just Timothy McVeigh, of course, uh, everybody knows, was the Oklahoma yeah. City bomber. Tom Jode is the hero of the, great, of the, the Grapes of Wrath, the John Steinbeck novel mm-hmm. about the Great Depression. A guy who's a, who is displaced, a migrant, an Okie on his way moving to California, buffeted by cynical elites, a, you know, a, a impossible bureau, bureaucratic odds, you know, farmers who rip them off. And he finally realized that, that it's not the other guys who are trying to make a buck that are the problem. It is the people who are above him. Right. And he then goes off and he says to his mother in the great scene, you can, I can just, you can't you just see Henry Fonda mm-hmm. sitting there by the candlelight saying this to his mother? You know, um, you know, wherever there's a man, you know, looking for a job, that's where I'll be. Mm-hmm. So, so he, Tom Jode, or as I say at the end, you know, it's fascinating to me that both Timothy McVeigh and Nelson Mandela use the same poem, Invictus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as their, as their mm-hmm. motto. Mm-hmm. That, that guys like Tom Jode or Bruce Springsteen, as another mm-hmm. example, white working class guy who, doesn't ma- who makes common cause with those below mm-hmm. him rather than, mm-hmm. you know, and, and see, and, and rather than, uh, that then turns them into the enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's the Thomas Frank, what's the matter with Kansas idea, Precisely. which you which you quote in the book, It's which which is this argument, you know, you're hating the wrong people, is basically, yeah. like, like, instead of hating the corporate powers that have shipped your job overseas and completely forgotten about you and made no amends, you hate the people below you, you know, right. you hate women, you hate black people, you, you hate the people you perceive as still on your job. It's a and that's what Thomas Frank says uh, right. as well. And, and yes, I have great respect for that argument as well, because I think that uh, that that there's a kind of distraction going on very often with these, uh, and that it's and it's a very seductive distraction. Mm-hmm.
Um, so one of your most original chapters is about uh, the Rampage Shooter and the, the re- what we get wrong about the ran- Rampage Shooter, and you sort of reconceive who the Rampage Shooter is. So can you talk about that the, a little uh, bit? By, by the Rampage Shooter? School Shooters. The school, school Shooters. shooters. Oh, because Sorry, school I, shooters. I actually have a chapter also on guys who go postal. Yeah, no, not them. Kind of not them. That's different. Okay. I mean the school shooters, the young school shooters, okay. like uh, well, Columbine shooters, those guys. Well, um, I'm flattered that you think I have a new take on it, I, and I'm curious an to know what you, th- what, you, what, you, what you think is it, that is. I'll, I'll tell you what I think is new about mm-hmm. it, the sociology of it. Mm-hmm. All of the work on the school shooters, uh, all of the, 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 the research that has been done, except for uh, one superb anthropologist, Catherine Newman, mm-hmm. um, who wrote a book called, uh, called Rampage, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the most, virtually all of the ways that we have approached them has been a focus on the psychology of the shooters. Mm-hmm. So you have the extreme psych- psychologization, mm-hmm. for example, in, uh, in, in, the, in some of the work on Columbine, mm-hmm. uh, David Cullen's book, yeah, yeah. for example, which basically is like, is like, like looking at a Seurat painting, like really, really up close, so you see these dots, but you don't see a picture at mm-hmm. all. Or, um, and, or, you know, so it's, it's, it's guns, it's, vi- it's violent video games, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Marilyn Manson, it's goth music, it's, it's any of the one number of these causes that lead these guys to explode. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who have the more social psychological. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that they were completely bullied, that they were constantly beat up. All these guys have those stories, by the way. So why does the grieved, enti- like, wh- wh- where is the aggrieved oh, okay. entitlement so in, that, in that situation? So, so, this, so the, 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 the additional part, and I'll get to the aggrieved entitlement part. So the additional piece that I add is that it's not enough to profile the shooters. Mm-hmm. We also have to profile the schools mm-hmm. if they are school shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Sandy Hook, by the way, is a complete exception to this. Well, that wasn't a kid who. That's right. It was a. It wasn't a student up, so, who. Yeah. Was, it wasn't yeah. a student who was coming into his school. Yeah. So, and since Columbine, remember, and here's the agreed entitlement mm-hmm. part. Since Columbine, school shootings have had a, taken a dramatic turn. It's you don't just go to school and try to kill as many of them or you know, the, mm-hmm. the, as you can, as they, as people did before Columbine. Remember Barry Lucatus or, or, you know, Michael Carneal, they're still in jail. Mm-hmm. But you also kill yourself at the end. This is not suicide. This is like suicide by cop. This is suicide by mass murder. Mm-hmm. You kill, you take out as many of them as you can because they have done you wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the constant line that goes through it. There's the aggrieved mm-hmm. entitlement. They, the constant line that goes through all right, of these explain, school Sorry, accounts. explain it again. Explain so what. The account, uh-huh. the, their accounts are, we have, you have done us wrong. Uh-huh, you I have see. bullied us, beaten us up, ignored us, gay baited us, etc. You know, spread rumors about us, lied about us. You know, and what's really interesting, I was thinking about this on the train down here, Hannah, mm-hmm. that, that, the, um, that the Rampage School Shooters are analogous to the are the boys' version of these girls who commit suicide after being so relentlessly cyberbullied and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and and shunned and all of that that they can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. The boys explode. The girls internalize. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So so this is a, but it's a similar kind of dynamic. So it's mm-hmm. not true that only boys bully. That mm-hmm. we know that that's right. not true, but they have sim- different kinds of responses to it. Mm-hmm. And for these boys. They, you know, they feel wronged. They mm-hmm. feel badly done by. They mm-hmm. feel ignored. And I'll show you. I'll get even with you. That's their logic. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there are thousands of boys who are feeling this all the time. Right. So why is it that school shootings are, although horrifying and in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a seemingly a regular occurrence, also re- reasonably rare? Like mm-hmm. 99% of schools haven't had one. Why? 
if there are thousands of boys who are feeling this every single day in their basements, in their attics, in their bedrooms, blowing up the galaxy mm-hmm. on their computer, wanting to take revenge, why don't they? Well, because, and there you have to profile the schools. You mm-hmm. have to say something about the schools in which these school shootings take place. They have certain characteristics. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are what one sociologist called the jockocracy, mm-hmm. the place mm-hmm. where, the, where the jocks rule it. At Columbine, for example, um, one of the players parked his, his Hummer in a 15-minute zone all day, never got mm-hmm. a ticket because the administration basically sort of protected him. Mm-hmm. These guys rule the school, and the administration and the faculty collude with them. You take the case, for example, of Steubenville, Ohio, not mm-hmm. that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys, th- these athletes, they, if you remember what happened, this, this is what entitlement sounds like. Mm-hmm. These guys gang-raped this girl mm-hmm. and filmed it. Mm-hmm. And one of them got worried. And said to the other one, you know, we can get in trouble for this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one said, don't worry about it. The coach will take care of us. He'll, mm-hmm. he'll clean it up. And mm-hmm. sure enough, what did the coach do? That day, he immediately did exactly what this guy said. He, mm-hmm. qu- he questioned why the girl was there, what she was mm-hmm. wearing, what she was drinking, whether she had led them on, whether she right, was complicit. Right, we've had several cases like right. this. In there, so so right. what, how did the city of Steubenville, Ohio, deal with this absolutely a, a horrific response by a coach? They rehired him. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not talking about the Steubenville two now. Now we're talking about the entire town rallies behind the coach who mm-hmm. defend who runs interference for the players. Mm-hmm. That's what entitlement sounds like. This football player was right. Right. He was entitled mm-hmm. and everything worked out as he expected it would. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is that that's that's what we have. I want to interrupt. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I understood that. It seemed to me a slightly different point than the point in the rest of the book, because those jocks can also enter the aggrieved entitlement. Like, that's a more I, I, real phenomenon than in other places where, you know, one day those jocks could be Rick at the at the gun show. Do you know what I mean? When they not. grow up. At but the moment you know they're not. But, but that's like a, old-fashioned class. Can I just uh, say something? Let me say something about that, though. That is really interesting, Hannah, because these guys, the athletes... The top, the mm-hmm. top jocks, the homecoming kings, and all, yeah. they also feel that they have a grieved entitlement. Yeah, yeah, They're walking yeah. around. They'll say the guys would tell me, you know, athletes with uh, high status guys on campus. We're walking around with targets on our back. Everyone's right. looking to to get us to do us in. You know, we're the poor victims here. Right. Like I felt everybody that everybody wants like, to be a victim. Everyone <laughs> wants to be a victim. Like that. The, the you know the relationship between the the shooters and the jocks that you describe. You know, that could have taken place in many decades. Mm. It's like the, you know, the entitlement of the jocks, the Hummer. It's more just sort of what happens to those jocks that's the new thing, where every guy feels like he just can't can't make it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then my only other um, uh, response to that chapter is, you know, it didn't seem to me like you had to choose between psychology and sociology. Like they're both, you know, whatever. You have sociology, and then you have some people who interact with that sociology in a right. way which makes them crazy. So, um, <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's not necessarily. I, I, I a don't choice. think you sacrifice one for the other. I think yeah. that they they work in, that sociology provides that context, and psychology provides the insight into the individual behavior. Why this person and not this person in that context? Right. Uh, now, now, the section of your book, which I greatly appreciated because I've been so curious and edited many stories about it, is the, the sort of thorough take on the men's rights movement. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about what is this men's right? You know, you have a sense that they're very angry, but you have a sense that they have legitimate grievances, and you have a sense that there's a, yeah. sort of an old history to it. But, uh, but it, was, it, it was very uh, useful, I think, to put all those strands together and kind of separate them in the way right. you did. So maybe I'll start actually with the history of the men's rights movement 
which was quite new to me. I had forgotten it. So can you just talk about the origins of the movement and where it comes from? Well, I locate the, the origins of the men's rights movement in, the, in Guy's response in the 1970s to the beginning of the women's liberation movement, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the feminist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of men who were, you know, because what, what, what feminism, you know, basically challenged was what was called by social psychologists the female sex role, that you have to be nice, mm-hmm. pretty, quiet, mm-hmm. you know, and do all of those. And, and, and women were saying, that's not who we are. We are right. ambitious. We're assertive. We're competent. We, right. want, to, we, we want to do stuff. Right. And, and, and we don't want to sacrifice any of that nice, nurturing, loving mm-hmm. stuff either. We want to be moms and workers right. and all that stuff. We want to lean in. We want to listen up. We right. want to do all of it. Right. Okay. So, so men basically were saying, you know, and the, the women in our lives were all... You know, like get, getting, you know, becoming feminists and critiquing our own, our behavior. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of guys sort of said, you know, well, they're right. Women have gotten a raw deal here. They mm-hmm. can't be all that they, and golly, so have we. Mm-hmm. We have gotten a raw deal. The male sex role sucks. Mm-hmm. You can never express your feelings. You can never tell people mm-hmm. that you love them. You ne- you're, all of your relationships with men are completely, you know, restricted by homophobia and the terror mm-hmm. that other people might get the wrong idea about you, whatever. So, so being a man sucks too. Mm-hmm. And then there was those who said, it sucks just as much. Mm-hmm. And right. then some guys were even saying, it sucks more. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but basically, the, so the origins come from what was then called the men's liberation movement. Mm-hmm. That men needed liberation too from restrictive, constraining, oppressor roles. So but to which speak. was sympathetic to feminism initially it, in initially its founding, it right? Initially it was. Initially it yeah, was. Yeah, see, that was new. That was interesting. Yeah. Initially it was, a, it was sympathetic to feminism. Um, but there was also, uh, but, but as one became angry, and, and I think there is still a men's liberation movement, I- impulse, mm-hmm. that, that is independent of feminism, or sees itself as independent of feminism, but not anti-feminist. Mm-hmm. But that's basically faded. Mm-hmm. Um, what has emerged now as part of the men's rights movement is that women have actually, it, basically the men's rights movement mm-hmm. takes as true the same thing I often hear from my female students, mm-hmm. which is when, when I come to my, my classes and I start to tell them the history of sort of the gender revolution, mm-hmm. they, my, my students say, well, feminism, that was your generation's issue. Mm-hmm. We won. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to worry about that now. We can do anything we want. The men or the women women. say this? The women say this, right? Well, why? Because, of course, they haven't been in the workplace Mm -hmm. yet. Five years after they graduate, they come back and go, you were right. Right. But but before that, they think, you know, feminism's over and Mm -hmm. we won. So we don't need to deal with that stuff Mm -hmm. anymore. We can have as much sex as we want. We can drink as much as we want. We can like sports. We can go to law school. We're fine. Right. So, so... But the, the, and the men have the same critique in a, in a funny way. They basically think that feminism has been so victorious that women have basically taken over. Mm-hmm. And there are several ways in which the men's rights movement um, embraces many of the original claims of men's liberation. For example, around men's health. Mm-hmm. Now, before they get angry and say there's too much funding for breast cancer, not enough for prostate cancer, before they get there, they do say the traditional definition of masculinity basically means you are indifferent to health concerns. Men do not go to the doctors as often for routine screenings, mm-hmm. etc. All of those all of those health issues are true mm-hmm. and they come from a critique of the male sex role and to that extent I actually think the men's rights movement has some has some positive things to offer, mm-hmm. particularly around health, mm-hmm. around stress related diseases, around mm-hmm. how masculinity leads to greater stress. Right. All that stuff. Right, right, we right. agree but with right. that, right? Right. Okay. 
So that part I agree with. That, that it's somehow because women have taken over the medical establishment and all, there's all this funding for prostate cancer? I think not. Right. Uh, 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 no funding for prostate no cancer. No funding, fu- and a lot for, for breast, funding breast, breast cancer. cancer. Right, right. I don't think so. But I don't, th- I don't blame women for this, but I do think that th- that critique is a reasonable one. The critique that, it, so that's one, one thing. I think the major, um, the, the major tributary that feeds the river of rage of, on the men's rights movement has to do with, uh, with uh, a grief entitlement around fatherhood. Right. The right. father rights movement. Right. Um, if, w- and was that a- like a minor strand or a separate strand? Like, why did the father's rights movement come to define, and this sort of, you know, essentially I think of as bitterness about divorce. Yeah. Overwhelming amounts of bitterness about divorce. divorce I mean, when and, I get. And, and child custody. It, more about custody than divorce, frankly. But it becomes, I mean, yeah. the only emails I don't answer are emails I recognize because they're so vile right. that it's shocking. Okay. You know, and, and so, so where does that, where how did it, that oh, all come oh, from? Yeah. Okay, this, yeah. I, think, I think it's understandable. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the 70s, the, the critique of the male sex role mm-hmm. was, it enabled men or in, in some ways inspired men to become more involved fathers. Mm-hmm. This is where the men's liberation and women's liberation movement actually coincided. Right. Feminist women were saying, we need you to be better right. fathers. We right. need you to be, you know, do share housework right. and childcare. We want to go to work, please, right. you know. And, and, it, and it's good for you too. And men took that seriously and started, you know, think about this. Yeah, yeah. Think, about, think about your own husband. Think yeah. about... The, compared uh, to my father, right, Or exactly. compared to, you know, my father had to fight and lost fought and lost to be in the delivery room when I was born. That explains a lot about well, you. Well, <laughs> a nice feminist father. Well, that. yes, but, and, and he lost. They wouldn't let him in. Now, if, you're, if the man is married to the woman who is giving birth to the, to the and child. And he's not there? He's a jerk, right. 95% yeah. of men are there. Right. Right. Think of how it's changed. Right. Men are far more involved in mm-hmm. child care, far more involved, and kind of like it. So, okay, so what happened since the 70s with, and so this is why there was a trickle of stuff about fatherhood then, mm-hmm. that grew into a, 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 a veritable ocean of positive stuff and all mm-hmm. these, you know, the, these, these beautiful pens to, to involve daddyhood and, mm-hmm. you know, and all the stuff, you know, daddy and me stuff. I mean, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. But what happened was that those men became more involved, more active fathers, and the laws didn't change. Yeah, the what? court system yeah. thinks of them as as our father's generation. Right, the right. court system thinks of them as wallets. Right. The court right. system thinks of them as utterly uninvolved, married to their jobs, and it doesn't acknowledge that they have have more inputs. Right. So when they come to a custody decision, they feel like, why did I put in all this work and all this effort and all of this stuff with my with, only to lose everything? Now. A little reality is helpful here mm-hmm. because the majority of, of custody cases are not contested. Mm-hmm. It's not a case where I want joint and you want sole. Mm-hmm. It is a case most of the time. And in fact, about eight, over 80% of cases, mm-hmm. the husband and wife who are divorcing agree on custody prior to the, the, to the, to the court date. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a and small, agree in which direction? Like the wife has usually, primary custody. Usually it's joint, or she has sole physical, and mm-hmm. he has visitation. Uh huh. But but and and but there occasionally, you know, there are one out of five cases. There really is uh, some conflict. He wants joint, she wants sole. He wants sole, and she wants right, whatever. Right. He wants more right. than she wants mm-hmm. him to have. Mm-hmm. And in those cases. 
courts tend to side. And I hear, I think, much of the father rights data probably have some validity. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, the courts seem to side with with, with her. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's... I mean, I have an analysis of that that suggests that it may not be all that wrong. There are a lot of different... Uh, there are a lot of cases, a lot of extenuating circumstances for all this. One doesn't know. There's all kinds of charges of, you know, of violence in the home, which mm-hmm. is also quite pervasive. And it, it, there's a, there tends to be some correlation with those contested custody cases, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, but but what I'm saying is that by and large, what f- the anger that fuels a lot of the father rights and men's rights groups mm-hmm. is a sense that we changed, the institutions haven't, mm-hmm. and. And so they're furious at courts, mm-hmm. at judges, as lawyers, but also at their ex-wives. So there is an anti-feminist strain, but it's not the whole thing. Right. And I think of all of the chapters of the book, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually think that the father rights guys have the have have a legitimate gripe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fi- I fi- I've always suspected that that uh, somewhere in there is a legitimate gripe against courts that live in the and, and, But on the right. other hand, all of the groups that I talk with in in my, I talk about in my 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 book have a legitimate gripe. I think they're just taking delivering their 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 angry mail to the wrong address. A legitimate institutional gripe. How about absolutely, that? Right. There, absolutely. there is some institution which is which is you know not not it hasn't uh, met the current era or something like right, some institution right. which hasn't moved forward. When and, they have. and the, the thing. The thing that I mean, the, the the reason that I'm you know I'm I'm critical, of course, is I think that some of the the, the in reversals of data and all that are are simply loopy. Mm-hmm. But but most of the time, but I do get their anger, especially the fathers, the mm-hmm. angry dads who think we changed, the institutions haven't, and that's wrong, mm-hmm. and we've been badly done by. Mm-hmm. There's the aggrieved entitlement. We we put in this stuff. We're entitled. Right. right. I, there was the the very funny quote you had in there by a kid. I think it was a friend of yours who had been a supervisor or something, and a kid who said, you know, do you spend any time with your dad? Well, he's so busy working on his dad's rights movement that I never see him. Yeah. That was was very funny. (laughs) Um, So so I want to return to the rage against women, because you you end on this very depressing chapter of this guy who comes and shoots up the women at his gym because he can't get a date. And, you know, there's a sense that there's this, like, toxic rage building we'll, we'll we'll end on a more hopeful note i promise but like <laughs> that there's this that there's this toxic rage so, you know some of the emails you quote are as i said they're they're just kind of uncomfortable to read you know the emails of the men's rights guys yeah. or the, the the sort of letters of the shooters you know um just just the sense of like anger against women that's kind of hard to take it's very bracing um yeah. and so you know what do you do with that like like where does that come from and what do you do with that um, I think that the uh, I, I think that a lot of guys have felt personally sort of so buffeted by the changes in women's lives mm-hmm. around sexual empowerment, around co- entering into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that they, they that they feel kind of. I mean, I think that the emotions underneath the anger are that they feel confused and bereft and bewildered and mm-hmm. just kind of like at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are de- unstable emotions. They, mm-hmm. they they make you feel like you can't, you can't get your footing, you're in uh-huh. quicksand. And I think that there's a that anger is a way to sort of stabilize yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, in George Sodini's case, which mm-hmm. he he's the lead of the chapter on the angry men. He's ma- the one who shot up the women at the right, gym. At the gym, right. Yes, yes. And then he in his in his and in his testimony he said he hadn't ha- you know, he hadn't had sex in years, he hadn't even had a date. There's all these gorgeous women. He's not a bad looking guy. He's not a bad looking guy. If you ever looked at his picture, 
He's he actually, says, I wear cologne. I mean, it's yeah, such right. a depressing letter. It is. It's so, yeah. It is. It really, it breaks your heart mm-hmm. um, that, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, think about the, 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 the all of those, the, 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 the angry white men who are learning to be successful pickup artists, mm-hmm. right? Think about this whole genre of how to become a pickup artist, how to like get women to, you know, and I remember when I was a kid that, you know, there were these like pheromone-based colognes that yes. if you put them on, women could, couldn't could stay away. Right. Guaranteed, you know, right. money back guarantee if you right. don't, get, you know, get some tonight. Right. You know, and all the strategies. Um, a friend of mine uh, has done some research on how guys prepare for, you know, going out for, mm-hmm. for bar, to bars and stuff mm-hmm. with their friends. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, because how do you go out to a bar in which the chances of you actually having sex that night with someone you pick up are, are you know, less than 5%. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for failure every single right. weekend, right? <laughs> right? You know, and, and you know, so there's a kind of resentment, a kind of anger, you know, and then there's all this confusion stuff because, look, women have refused to sacrifice their hotness and their femininity right. for being competent in the workplace. Right. They want to be taken seriously as women right. and as workers. So, you know, they're beautiful, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. sexy, they're hot. They, 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 now they tell us they like sex. How come not me? Right, you know, right. So, like, so I get that. I, I feel that you know, I can understand that anger. Um, and I feel... That uh, that guys feel like a resentment, like and, and well, the odd thing is it's like infantilized. I mean, there were two things that struck me about Sedini's letter. One is that you read it, and what he's saying incorrectly, but what what you see his logic is: I'm doing everything I need to do to be a man, and it's not working. Like that's, that's the right. that's the that's fundamental right. truth that's of right. his life. That's I'm you know, and it's all superficial. What he's saying: I'm wearing this, I'm working out, I'm doing this, I you know, looking for a job. I'm doing all these things, and it's utterly failing. And I'm doing all these things that you women told, told me I have to. To do if I'm gonna you know it's like that advance. Chevrolet commercial that I that I quoted in my book uh, in the in the um, that ran in the Super Bowl one year where you had these silent men and they say like I've picked up your laundry you know I've held your your yeah. lipstick I've you know it's mute it's like the men are completely frozen and mute <laughs> narrated and yet, by Dexter yeah and it's like and you <laughs> jerks you know you jerks like you you've done all and, this to me and for this I get to drive a souped up 1970s exactly. car <laughs> exactly <laughs> muscle car. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so that. But the other. And you know, by the, the other way, thing, just to let you know, just one thing. This is how this. How I know that this commercial did not necessarily work on you because it wasn't for a Ford. Right. <laughs> it was um, a Dodge. It's a Dodge. Dodge Challenger. Um, my my mom had a Dodge Challenger, <laughs> a gold Dodge Challenger. Um, the uh, the other thing about the letter. I mean, you're supposed to get over that in like middle, right? That's an that no, that's an that's a very you know. My husband has said that. Oh God, when I was in middle school, you know, you always felt like the girls had something and you couldn't have. That is that's a legitimate right. feeling. It's just you're not supposed to have it when you're 40. You know, you're supposed to understand the world in a slightly uh, more sophisticated way. I mean, that's the other thing that struck me as sad about his letter. It's like it's like the thoughts of a 14-year-old boy, not the thoughts of a 40-year-old man. So well, you, you, let me, but let me, all right, let me just take that for a second. Let's take the 40, 40-year-old 40 mm-hmm. man and put him back 26 years. Mm-hmm. 26 years ago, he was right. Right, right. No, no. Right. What, Twenty-six yeah. years ago, a forty-year-old would have said would have been right to think those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You see what I'm saying? That basically, you're right to say this. Right. Um, that uh, that that he that he embraced at fourteen the, the idea that when I'm forty, I will have all of these things. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying so. So it's regressive. Yes, a mm-hmm. lot of this stuff is atavistic and regressive. Mm-hmm. I mean. Some of the guys I quote in the beginning of the book, all this, they're taking away our yeah, country. Right. And all, it's all, it's very nostalgic out of this, but he was right 24 years ago. Right. 
Right. That seems to me to be a key. Right. Things have changed that quickly. Right. So right. you can't re- rely on, you're not Don Draper. Right. 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 Don Drapers don't exist any longer. Yes. Don Draper can go to work, put on perfume, look good, and he will get the many girls. And, and it's not necessarily every- going to work. That's right. 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 Um, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to end. This is the hardest part. Everyone asks me this about my book. You know, uh, you've got these men who are failing, who are angry. Uh, the kind of what can you do question. You know, uh, we all race through that at the end of the book. Like, what, what can you, you know, what can you do when you've got this this sort of like bu- bu- bubbling, seething rage on the radio and in on, on you know online and sort of in life and with ramp. What do you do with all of this? How do you address these men? They are genuinely. I think suffering and yes. and kind of falling off the map in many many ways you yeah. know as fathers as workers in all sorts of ways uh, so they may not be right they may not be entitled to their entitlement and yet they are suffering so yes. so what what you know a couple of things that they can do I think this is really important because it also defines both of our posture mm-hmm. you know w- you and I disagree somewhat I- I- in some respects but we also run on parallel lines and one of the things that I think is similar but between your book and mine is that we both have a significant amount of compassion Mm-hmm. for the, these guys who are suffering. Mm-hmm. We recognize that. Mm-hmm. My, my, what I say is that their pain is real, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. That is, they, they are feeling real feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and anger, of course, is the one feeling men are allowed to feel, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they are feeling real feelings, but their analysis of why they're feeling it is not, does not match up with what I understand to be the data. So how do you turn that okay. ship? Like, how do you convince these guys it's not the black woman who stole your, your job? Well, there's two ways I can, I, one can do this. First of all, look, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you think that women are going to have some V8 moment where they're going to go, oh, my God. Got to go back home. Yeah, Got to right? go back home. This right. voting, working, you know, right. driving cars, having orgasms. Forget that. Let's let's go back to the way it used to be. No. Nor <laughs> are the corporations going to be like, oh, man, you're right. We should have left that factory in Alabama. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. That's not happening. Right. right. Exactly. That's a, that's a right. good, good point. Yeah. So, so, so the, the ship sailed. Right. So the question is, are we going to get on board or mm-hmm. are we going to swim after it? Mm-hmm. Right. The ship has sailed. Now, here is where I think we have something to offer. Mm-hmm. The data on men who, ha- you know, because most this is a very it, it, in some ways I'm making it a big movement. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's actually a declining number of men mm-hmm. because most men, you know, maybe your husband, in fact, maybe, you know, maybe all, most of my friends have very quietly accommodated themselves mm-hmm. to greater gender equality in their relationships, in their families. And you know what? They don't, li- they don't hate it. In fact, they like it. Mm-hmm. They like having somebody to talk to who's smart and interesting and engaged. They like having those kinds of relationships with mm-hmm. their kids. They like, they, they're actually feeling better about themselves. Men who share housework and childcare are more likely to go to the doctor for routine screenings. Mm-hmm. There's a men's health thing. Mm-hmm. But less likely to end up in the ER. Mm-hmm. Less likely to go to therapists. Less likely to be diagnosed with depression. So Their children the ex- are less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. Uh-huh. So, I mean, th- so, he- so here's what I would uh-huh. say. The, the answer to your question, in a sense, is on the one hand, the, it, it, the, the deal's done. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know what? It's actually better. Mm-hmm. Your life will improve. Now, that's on the personal side. On the political side, I think we have to say, what are the institutional structural constraints that have in- prevented us from living the lives we want to live? Mm-hmm. How about adequate health care? Right. How about universal child care for our children oh. so that our wives... You know, they, they would like 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 laugh in your face. Of about course they would. Right. Of course they right. would. They but, just have to get used to them, I guess, you know? But my feeling is... 
you know, if enough of us keep saying this, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure that this is part of what was happening in those back, backyards last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the next, the likely next mayor of, of the city of New York has, has proposed universal child care mm-hmm. to be paid for by taxing the, the, the wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, probably won't happen, right. but it's on the agenda. Someone's talking about it. It's going to increase. Eventually, eventually, we're going to end up looking a little bit more like the rest of Europe, like the rest of the industrial world. I mean, I actually personally put a lot of faith in the in the personal, ex- the slow, gradual personal experience. Me too. You watch TV, you see a lot of guys taking care of their children, much more right. than there was two or three years ago. You know, it's on mainstream sitcoms. You know, everyone has their show, guys with kids, you yes. know, whatever. So you see that, it seems more normal. You're out of work and you end up picking your kids up from school. Situation of a lot of right. men these days so that you just like slowly acclimate like culturally we slowly acclimate and more of us so so all i'm saying is that like they in the corp in the company corporation to say that you want on-site child care mm-hmm. we've always thought of that as a women's issue mm-hmm. it's not right it's a parent's issue right you know when men come out as parents we're going to say here's what i want i mm-hmm. want that and of course women won't get it unless men mm-hmm. support it too i'm saying that there's so this is in our interest. Greater gender equality is actually in men's interest. Mm-hmm. That's a different argument than saying, you know, give it up, guys, because the ship sailed. I mean, th- that may be true, but that's I, I want men to feel motivated toward mm-hmm. toward this. I think that, um, the, as you say, the quiet accommodation is the, the, the biggest trend. Mm-hmm. And, the mo- the, and as the most dominant one, it has that kind of rippling effect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's terrific because you see that in, in all over the country that men are far more, all over the country. This isn't a red or blue state or even mm-hmm. a purple state thing. This is, uni- across the board, men are spending more time with their kids. They're more valuing them. So again, you know, in parentheses, the courts are going to have to recognize this eventually. So let's end on that wonderfully optimistic note. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Congratulations Hannah. on your book. Great. Thank you. Sure.